Dear Heavenly Father, what a blessed, blessed story that is. It's in Christ alone. Everything that we have, everything that we need, our future, everything depends on Jesus and Him crucified. Lord, thank You for being willing to send Your Son. Thank You for being willing to have to turn away at that last minute because you couldn't watch him die. Because you knew that if he didn't, we could never be reconciled to you. Lord, thank you for that wonderful promise. Thank you for your word today. Lord, please teach us. Please, Lord, keep me out of the way. Please show us what you have for us to learn and grow us, Lord. Make us different. Make us more like Christ more like Abraham, Lord, that that we would be a better reflector of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, worship team. That is is definitely one of my favorite songs. It's a recognition and reminder in Christ alone. And and it's, it's been so fun reading or studying through Genesis and and the Old Testament and to see how Christ was it then too. And I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I had disconnected Christ from the Old Testament in the, in the early stages of my walk. I had separated the Old Testament from the New Testament by Christ. And I just, I always wondered what happened to those poor souls in the Old Testament before Christ. And when, when I, I first recognized that Abraham, just like us, was saved by grace. It was the most amazing revelation for me. I was so humbled by that. And I continue to be. And as we study and continue on in Genesis, and now we're going to talk about the crucifixion foretold. Today is, is, the, is the example of the crucifixion in Genesis chapter 22. It just gets me more and more excited. It's more and more fun. I just, I can hardly contain myself. I want to finish Genesis tomorrow, but I don't want to finish it at all because it's been so rich and so uh, and just incredibly life-changing for me. So it's been great. And hopefully today I can, I can formulate those thoughts that God has been rambling through my head over the last week and just to look and see what he teaches us. So we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 22. Some time has expired since the birth and the weaning of Isaac. We have no idea how much. Uh, It doesn't tell us. We just know that some time has expired. We picture Isaac somewhere in perhaps his mid-teens to early 20s. Different people have different opinions on that. But study as I might, I can't find a number. And, And God starts in chapter 22 with... Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So we need to step back for a second. Whenever you see something like that, you ought to take a step back and say, now it came about after these things. If you don't know what these things are, it really doesn't help you that much going forward. So the things that we were talking about were just that, the birth and the weaning of Isaac and the opportunity for Abraham to develop a relationship with, the, with Abimelech and Phicol. 
So after that time, after he had a covenant with them, they had gone back to the land of the Philistine. Then now, after that time, this was happening. And God said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Why? Well, I just begged that, that that's how I respond to God. And, and that when he, when he calls me, I'm ready to go. And that's one of the things that I really learned from this, this passage this, this week was, was really that, that that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be prepared at all times. He wants us not to step back and wonder what we might do if something were to happen to us, but rather for us to have a plan. See, he had a plan. And he, and he was going to test Abraham here. And this is a tough thing. The whole concept of testing, this is not the first time Abraham had been tested. We'd seen test after test after test for Abraham and bringing him to this point. This is, in essence, the culmination of the testing of Abraham. In chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 5, God tested Abraham by saying, leave your family and go where I'm guiding you. And Abraham went. There was a hiccup or two there, but he did go. Their famine, right, in chapters 12, verses 10 through chapter 13, verse 4, where there was a famine, and God tested Abraham, and he left the place God told him to go to. And he went to Egypt, and he offered up his wife Sarah, or Sarai at that time. So there was a, not such a good outcome. The fellowship test with Lot, this was a beautiful picture of, of Abraham's faith in God and how it was growing. They stood in this spot, just imagine it, Lush like the Garden of Eden, dry like Nevada. And Abraham says to Lot, you pick first. Because I have full confidence that wherever God puts me, it will work. So he did that. He, he, he went there. The fortune test. So Lot went to the valley that was green and full of despicable actions. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah. And the kings from the mountains came down and they wiped them out and they took Lot away. And Abraham went and got him with the other group that he had forged relationships with and he, he brought Lot back. And, and of course, the king of Sodom came out and was offering to give him money and spoil and all these other things. And Abraham said, I don't need that. I have God. That's all I need. So he, he did a great job there. The, uh, the failed fatherhood test, right? Chapter 16. Well, God says, I'm going to have descendants that are more numerous than the stars and the sand. And Sarah is beautiful, and I keep trying to give her away. But she's not, we're not having any children. So Sarah and Abraham hatch a plan. Let's have a, ah. God didn't say Sarah was going to have babies. He said, you are going to be the father of a great nation. So we'll make that work. And we have, of course, have Hagar and Ishmael. And then he had the farewell test to Ishmael, right? This is a tough thing. Abraham loved Ishmael. He loved this boy. His heart was broken. He was shaking at the concept of sending him away. But God said, go and do this, Abraham. You must. And he did. So Abraham had had these chances, these tests before. They were all leading up to this. So Abraham answered, here I am. And God said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering 
on one of the mountains which I will tell you. What gives? For 25 years, God promised Abraham, you are going to be a father of nations. Abraham couldn't wait, so he jumped in, married Hagar, and had Ishmael. Finally, 25 years later, Isaac is born. He's weaned, he's growing, he's got to be the classic boy. Right? You can just get that picture of, of Isaac. And, and, and God says, Abraham, go, go and do this, and I'll tell you where. I'm not going to give you exactly. You notice this? This is another interesting part of obedience from Abraham. God didn't say go exactly to this place. He said go in this direction. I'll confirm the plans as, as you get there. The part where he says your only son is repeated three different times in this chapter, verses 2, 12, and 16. It's a focus point. Right? This is a concept of there are no others, Abraham. This was, is the promise. Go and sacrifice him. Now me, I don't know. I don't know that I could have done that. I don't think that I have the faith that Abraham had at the time. But I learned some valuable lessons in, in studying this and realized that I need to know. I need to know. You know, we all need to know. God is going to test us as well. And you need to know how you're going to respond. You see, Abraham... What did he do? Verse 3, he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham wasted no time. He got up and he went. He took off. He decided that it was more important to trust God than the flesh of man. He'd already tried that. But he'd already tried that with Ishmael. He had seen the folly. And he realized, no, we need to go. And they went to Moriah. This is the city of Jerusalem is built on Moriah. The Temple Mount was Moriah. So we're going to see Moriah over and over through the Bible as we go. In verse 3, Abraham got up and he got everything ready and he went. And on the third day, he raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go there and we will worship and return to you. You know, most times for us, if you step back and look at the times that God has tested you or put you into trial, you realize most of the time our first response is, let's not, let's get a good sleep because we got to go in the morning. Our first response is, why? Why me? Why not this person? Right? They are the ones who need to be tested, not me. And, and, and God, I'm willing to obey you just as soon as it makes sense to me. That's our general response to things. Why? Why me? And I'll do it as soon as you make it clear to me why I should do it. But Abraham didn't. He got up and he went. We have tests. In 1 Peter, it tells us, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, we have tests because it purifies our faith. And in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we have tests, it says, because it purifies our character. And, and in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, it says we have tests because it prepares us to walk away from sin. So God was testing 
Abraham. Can you imagine? Three days journey. Abraham is the only one of the group who knows what's going to happen. He's loaded the wood. He has fire. He has his knife. And this is not the first sacrifice that these guys have done. Right? You have to step back for a minute and realize this is not the first one. It's not like this is the first sacrifice that has ever occurred. So everybody that's there, Abraham, Isaac, and the two men, recognize that when you go to sacrifice, you sacrifice something. Not like us. Maybe I won't have coffee this morning. I'll sacrifice having coffee. But, but you end the life of something. That is the sacrifice at this concept. We, we haven't seen the sacrifice that we will in the law of flour and oil and other things. Every sacrifice that I am aware of up until this point was a life of an animal. Three days these men traveled. Abraham had the opportunity to wrestle through this with God if he really did. I actually don't think he did. I've read some commentaries that said, oh, it must have been horrible. Abraham must have been struggling. It must have been the hardest thing in the world. But you know what? I'm not actually sure that this tells us that. I think Abraham got up in the morning and he went. His heart was so full of God. He went. He had time to worship God on the way. And I really believe that's what Abraham did. I really believe that Abraham was worshiping all the way there. Because he was too willing to get up and go and too willing to bind his son and too willing to sacrifice him. The picture that's painted here was a man that was focused on God's plan, not himself. I believe with all my heart that Abraham spent three days worshiping and glorifying God in his heart on the way to kill his son. I am so humbled because I'm not that kind of man. I want to be that kind of man. So he said, stay. Guys, stay to the men that were with him. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. This is faith beyond faith. Because God didn't say, sacrifice him because I'm going to make an example for the world of your son. He said, sacrifice him. But Abraham said, no, okay, we'll go. But he told him, we'll be back. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see the writer of Hebrews explaining this a little bit to us. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able, so Abraham considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. There was no examples of somebody coming back from the dead yet. 
We didn't have the example of Lazarus. We didn't have the example of, of the others that had come back from the dead. This was before those things happened. There was no example. But Abraham said confidently, we'll be back. I have faith. Wearsby says, faith is not demand, does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. You know, the more I read, I realized, you know why Abraham, why I believe he worshipped on the way? Because God had made a promise that couldn't possibly happen if he didn't have another plan. He had said clearly, after they had messed up with Hagar and Ishmael, no, Sarah will bore you, bear you a son. You will call him Isaac, and in him will all of your descendants be named. It's a done deal. Why not pick him up and go? You've got nothing to fear. God had promised. It was there before him. Abraham said, I've got nothing to fear. Let's go. God will provide. He said, he promised, I've gone through so many stupid mistakes where I didn't trust God. Why not now? I'm over that. I've given in to him. I trust him. Let's go. I'm surprised now, after hearing God, after studying this chapter, I'm surprised Abraham didn't bring a band with him to play music on the way because he was so excited. He was going to meet God on the mountain. He was going to see his God. He knew it. He, had, he was probably excited about this. He wasn't dreading it. This was an opportunity. He was going to be there, and God was going to meet him on the mountaintop. This is cool stuff. I've read this for years going, oh, his heart must have been being ripped out of his chest. He must have been horrified. He must have just been low as low could be. I don't think so. I think he had a skip in his step. He's a hundred and some years old. He had a skip in his step. He longed for this time with God. He was looking forward to it. We've got to change our attitudes towards testing. We've got to rethink how we think about these things. We've got to look at this like Abraham did. This man was probably rejoicing because God had enough faith in him that he'd have enough faith in God to follow through. The next time God tests you, jump up and down with joy. Jump up and down with the excitement. This is as good as it gets. It doesn't get any better than this. This is an opportunity to meet him right where he wants you. And Abraham was there. And we can see that. We can feel it. We need to encourage each other in that. We need to embrace these opportunities. God is just waiting to be glorified in our response. And Abraham was there. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He didn't know what was going to happen. He just knew it was going to happen. And he was ready to embrace it. And he said, I'll be back. And by the way, I'll be bringing my son. Because God promised me, and there is no way in the world 
that he's going to back off on his promise. So they went. Verses 6 through 8, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. And the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, there's just, that's just oozing with respect in this. My father, he said. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. The love, the respect of the son, and the love of the Father just ringing through this. And Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. I used to sit and think, Oh, the heaviness of the heart of the man to say that to his son. I wonder now how he stayed away from sharing with Isaac the beauty of what was going to be happening to them, the opportunities of what were going to be there. There's a lot of discussion on the, the, the bundle of wood and Isaac carrying it. So we have a couple of logistical options to think about. One is, remember, Abraham is up there, right? It may be enough to climb the mountain for Abraham. So it may have been just a truly practical thing. Put the wood on Isaac. He's a young kid. He can lift it. He can make it up the mountain. But there's also the picture of him carrying the wood. And there's obviously some similarities. And just in case you've missed it so far, there's some similarities between here and Christ and the cross. So perhaps the similarities of Christ carrying the cross that he was going to be hung on and the symbolism of Isaac carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed upon. There's also the concept that it was similar to the, the burden of Christ taking our sins. You see, Isaac didn't, shouldn't have had to carry the wood for his own sacrifice up the mountain, but he did it willingly. There was a, there was a working between the father and the son here. The son willingly did it and respectfully Carrying the wood up the mountain, he asks his dad, I've seen enough sacrifices to know that we usually have one more thing. And I don't see it. Maybe I'm glad I'm not carrying it, though, so perhaps he's thinking this is a good thing. But on the other hand, he knows there's something that's not the same as it's been. And they walked on and said that they will provide. You know... It's also beautiful to stop here and think as, as Abraham is saying this, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. You remember in, in, in chapter 18 where Sarah laughs. She's going to have a son, right? Am I going to have a son? And I'm going to have my, my husband is old and I am old also. Now I'm going to have pleasure and a son? <laughs> She laughed, right? And God, the angel of the Lord, Jesus said to her, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for me? Abraham had had all the stuff he needed to know. It's going to work. It's okay. In Philippians 4.13, we know that Paul said to the Philippians, and he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The same Jesus Christ was strengthening Abraham as strengthens us. You know, it's pretty unlikely any of us will ever have to offer one of our children up as a sacrifice. We should never have a misstep when God puts us in a test. 
Always think of where Abraham was and where God was. The thing that hit me on this and that really came home and to roost for my heart was the whole concept of needing to be ready. So James Dixon had, a say, uh, had made a statement, our love and trust in God must be in place before we are tested so that our obedience is not in question at the time of testing. One more time. Our love and trust in God must be in place before we are tested so that our obedience is not in question when we are tested. Before you leave today, I'm going to challenge you and encourage you both. You need to know what it's going to when you're tested, and we're promised for testing, right? Because it purifies our faith. It grows us in our character. It's going to happen. You need to decide right now, before you go, before another minute expires, how you're going to respond to God when he allows you to be tested. And it's the fact that we must have enough trust in him. Is he really big enough to do the things he promises us? Is he really big enough to, to, uh, to provide for us our daily bread? Is he really big enough to, to provide for us those things that we need on a regular basis? Is he really big enough to provide salvation for our sins? If you can't say yes to those, you need to do some digging. Because he says he is, and there are two options. You're right and he's wrong, or you're calling him a liar. Abraham said, I trust you. You said Isaac would be the beginning of the generations. I believe that, and I'm going to trust you. Verses 9 through 12. They came up to the place where God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, I wrestled with this a little bit in the whole concept here of would Isaac have fought his dad? He probably could have overpowered him. He's a teenager. Abraham is a hundred and teenager. Probably could have overpowered his dad. Probably couldn't have done that. I go back to the same thing that I believe I believe firmly that Abraham was worshiping God on his three-day trip. I believe Isaac willingly got on the wood. I don't know the bound, why the, the binding, but I really believe that Isaac went there willingly too. And then Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. And as always, God's timing is impeccable. It is perfect. It is just in time. God does so many things just in time, and we miss them because we're so frustrated that he didn't do it when we wanted. Do you not think that if, if it was me going up there, that I wouldn't have been thinking all the way up? Let's just say I could get far enough to say, okay, God, I trust you enough in this to really go through with it. But I'd have been thinking all the way up the climb. Certainly there's another option. Certainly there's another option. God's going to show me something before I get there. God's going to show me something before I get there. I'd have had myself convinced of that. But the time that I bound him and raised the knife... I would have lost faith. But Abraham was still there. He was so entrenched in the grace of God right then that even at that act, he knew it was still okay. Because as we know in Hebrews, 
He believed that he'd bring him back from the dead, even though that had never happened. He was so trusting. He would walk down that mountain with his son intact, that he was willing to do it. And God said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, this is interesting. Do you realize the first time God called, he just said, Abraham. There's an urgency now. God is meeting him there. And we're going to find out his response here. But Abraham, Abraham, right? He knows Abraham's going through with this. He's seen in his heart. He's watched it. There's no question in God's concept that Abraham is going to do this. And he stops. He said, and Abraham says, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know. I know that you're, you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And in verses 13 and 14, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. And it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Substitutionary atonement. Big word concept was God provided. And I completely missed this one point in this verse. I lost, I, I remembered, remember Abraham going up the mountain says, it's, it's okay, God will provide. Or Isaac said, where's the lamb? Abraham said, it's okay, God will provide the lamb. There's no lamb. It's a ram. It's an adult with horns big enough to get caught in the thicket. I completely missed the concept here. Abraham was foretelling Christ. It wasn't just a substitutionary atonement for Isaac. Abraham was proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and bringing this through. And, and it, wasn't as, it wasn't just a symbol of Jesus. It was a proclamation of Christ. God will provide the lamb. Not today. He's going to provide something different today. The ram that we're going to sacrifice is not the point that they were talking about walking up the hill. Isaac did in, in his youth, in his unknowingness, talked about the sacrifice for today, but Abraham foretold Jesus. And who met them at the altar right there? It was Jesus, right? The angel of the Lord. Abraham, Abraham. God brought not just a ram, but he sent Jesus Christ to stop the offering of Isaac on the altar. And he responded, Jehovah Jireh, Lord will provide. He will see to it. He will take care of it. Verses 15 through 19, the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. We hear that again. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand on which is the seashore. And when your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's us. You realize that? All the nations, the Gentiles, the Jews, everybody in this will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Spurgeon says the promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. What an incredible picture. What a beautiful opportunity for us to learn from Abraham and to realize that by his faith, we can partake of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Because of Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his son as a symbol of God offering up Jesus Christ on the cross for us, we can actually partake in the death and resurrection and promise of Jesus Christ. What an... It was, for me, I really have very little more to say. That's really the end of it. But God didn't stop there. He said, now it came about, in verses 20 and on, after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, and Booz his brother, and Camuel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jipla, and Bethuel, and Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Remuel, also bore Teba, and Geham, and Tehash, and Makkah. And I looked at that, and I thought, and I've been riding on the mountaintop on this chapter. All the way up here, I, I sincerely contemplated just leaving these out because this was, this was just so much. I, I have been blessed more probably in my entire life in, in Genesis. It has, it has changed me more than any other thing I have done other than my salvation. But I looked at this and I thought, you know, God takes us to this point where he describes the death and resurrection of Christ where he puts in the heart of a man just like us, no different than us. Abraham is just like us. He puts in the heart of a man to have so much faith that he was willing to sacrifice his own son. And he's willing to share with us, you know what? That, is, that, that is, seems like a mountaintop experience, but every experience with God is a mountaintop experience. And here, let me tell you a little bit about the future because see, Rebecca is going to figure in very prominently as we move forward. And so he, he didn't just stop there. He said, he told me everything matters. Even the names of the children of the concubine matter. Just as much as the faith of Abraham. Don't lose sight of your importance for God and his kingdom. There is nothing that he does that isn't of importance. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for speaking to me in my heart. And thank you for making me a changed man. Lord, I just pray that I, I didn't get in your way. That I didn't bring anything up that didn't need to be brought up or leave anything out that should have. Lord, this has been such a revolutionary passage for me. And, and I'm so thankful for you. We're going to move into a time of, of communion, and this is a chance for us to celebrate that Jesus died on the cross. But would you work deep in our hearts and get rid of any of the garbage that's there? And help us, Lord, as we, 
as we leave today, be prepared to be tested by you and do it in a way that Abraham did, that you would be honored and glorified by everything. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.